Okay, hello everybody. This is Quasar Quinology number eight, okay? The podcast dedicated to the adventures of Quasar, our favorite superhero, Wendell Elvis Vaughn. Um, we're here with our uh, special guest, Kyle Van Dongen. Kyle, uh, tell us about yourself. Uh, well, I do films and writing as a hobby. I like science fiction and horror, and I've never really read any comics. I don't know if that's worth saying. Interesting. So before today, Give us the grand rundown. What comics have you read, if any? Uh, Godzilla in Hell, the complete run. Okay. That's Some... from Dark Horse? Oh, I don't know. It oh, might no. be Dark Horse. No, okay. what's, who's doing Godzilla currently? Isn't it... Um... Oh, IDW or something? Yeah, IDW, okay, that's it, yeah, yeah. Um, And aside from that, I think I read one issue of Godzilla vs. the Avengers. You may notice a theme here. Mm-hmm. And something about Alien once. So your big thing is dinosaurs, Godzilla. That's your main... Yeah, I think with a monster, I'm generally into. Okay, perfect. So, um, obviously, I could have given you any uh, of the 15 different storylines that we're covering in this Quasar Chronology uh, era one, but I chose the one that did include dinosaurs because you're a big dinosaur Which fan. I appreciate. Of course. So anyway, so we're going to start off. So <laughs> we're still sort of working out the format of this podcast. And for the, those of you at home listening... Uh, I've been doing a video web series for 14 years, but I have very little experience doing audio podcasts only, so or audio-only podcasts. So whatever. We're kind of making this up as we go along. But anyway, okay, so Marvel 2-in-1 was a team-up series featuring The Thing and a different guest every issue. You're familiar with The Thing, right? Yes. From? Yes, from uh, Fantastic Four. Right. The three motion pictures. And you, uh, did you ever see the cartoons or anything in the 90s? Or Not Fantastic Four, actually. I didn't okay. know there was a 90s one, to be honest. Yeah, there was. Uh, I think there was. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there was. Anyway, so Marvel 2-in-1, The Thing, and Quasar. Have you ever heard of Quasar before you read no, this? No, this is my first Quasar experience. And I'll have you know that my nickname at St. Clair College is Quasar. Oh. But... We don't need to talk about that. Okay. <laughs> so here we go. The Thing in Quasar. So this is uh, Marvel 2-in-1 number 73 from 19- March 1981. The title of this story is Pipeline Through Infinity. Um, before I say anything, I noticed that you have some typed out notes here. Yes. This is incredibly detailed. This is about 6,000 times more detailed than the notes that I have for this comic. Well, a large chunk of this, these are large paragraphs, is because I didn't realize I'd have the comic in front of me necessarily. So it's like, I want to be able just to read this and know exactly what I'm talking about in these notes. So there might not be as much as it seems, or maybe there is. Okay, okay. (laughs) So how about this? I'm just going to say the first thing I noticed about this is that we we start off on media res. We're in the middle of the story, right? Yes. Like, I actually thought, oh, wait a minute, did I miss an issue? Like, was Quasar in the previous issue? I have to go back and read it? Well, that was my first thought, too, because you just threw me in the middle of this. It's volume 73. I'm like, what's missing? Right. Um, what's interesting, though, about this is I was writing that note, because I was writing notes as I went along. My first mm-hmm. note was, oh, this is interesting. We start in the middle of a scenario. And then they go back literally one page later and <laughs> explain, explain which is kind of fast, I think. Yeah, it's you're right. It doesn't leave you in mystery very long. No, good point. I mean, obviously, it's the fact that it was more. It's a it's a more interesting part of the story to show them in space than to show them just, uh, you know, walking along. You start in the the subway here. Yeah, Yeah. but it's still a little bit. um, I don't want to say it's like forced, but um, it's a little bit ridiculous. I mean, if anything, they could have started out the story. And had, say, one or two pages of just um, build-up, then had this as the splash page, right? Yeah, and I even wonder, too, like, the they could almost just... It is a flashback, right? So it's not even... Maybe they could just talk about where they were, even. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's hard to say. E- even even the dialogue, I, I noticed when they're in the subway is kind of like that awkward, like, oh, I'm I, the thing is like, oh, I happen to be here because I was working for you, remember? Yes. It's like, well... Yes. Obviously, Quasar would know this. Mm-hmm. It's just the very... It's, it's for our benefit. Sure. Which I guess the whole flashback would be. Yeah, like, stow it, pal. After all, I was working on the security squad for a couple of weeks at Pegasus. I got a stake in this, too. Now, quit, John. I think we found the rat's nest. So, basically, we find out that they are investigating a security breach or security threat. And they end up being transported supposedly across space. And end up in this unknown alien world. The land of the lost. Basically, yeah. Yeah, it's basically either that or Turok. Um, well, Dinosaur later Hunter. Turok stories. Yeah. So, okay, so what are your... W- Want to go through some of your notes here that you have? 
Uh, well, uh, what one's particular though? Like, where would you like to start with? Like, well, I don't know. Are they in order? Or are they just general well, plots? You, you asked me a bunch of questions. I basically just answered your question. Oh, okay. You wanted plots somewhere you wanted. Impressions well, of the art. Well, let's put, like to start? I'll just say one thing. I'll give you my general, really quick general impressions here. So this story is written by Ralph Macchio, not the one from Karate Kid, <laughs> and it's drawn by Ron Wilson and inked by Chick Stone. Now, Ralph Macchio co-wrote Project Pegasus, which Josh and I previously reviewed. Okay. Okay. That's a it's a pretty popular storyline from this era. Mm-hmm. So we know it, it was co-written by Ralph Macchio. And Mark Grenwald. Mark Grenwald wrote part two of this story that we're reviewing. Okay, mm-hmm. based on that, I'm gonna say Mark Grenwald's a better writer. He's also had a much more successful career as a writer. So you're saying to to contrast that you're, you're talking about the next volume he wrote as well. The next issue. Yeah, next and, issue. and you liked that one better. That one? No, no. This issue is by Ralph Macchio. Yep. Number the next issue is by Mark Grenwald. Mm-hmm. Project Pegasus was co-written by both of them. Okay, but it was one of those things where I was reading. I was like, Mark, Project Pegasus is so good. I wonder who's the secretly the talent behind this great story. I'm going to guess it was a, definitely a collaboration, but of the two, Mark Grenwald's better, I think. Oh, well, just in terms of writing, though, I'm glad you gave me these two particular issues because mm-hmm. I kind of preferred the first one. Okay. Um, a lot of it because it, it seemed a lot more like uh, it applies to today, actually, a lot of it, okay. which is interesting. Like, I know it's a dated kind of cheesy sci-fi mm-hmm. story, right? But a large chunk of it, like this evil corporation that's sabotaging green energy products to take oil yep. for, and pillage it from natives, you know. I know. I was thinking it's that like, too. It's like, it's actually pretty like on the nose. And another thing I noticed this is an example of good dialogue. Um, I forget where the heck it was. Um, it's later on. Um, what do I have it written down? Good dialogue. If yeah, so the best dialogue is on page nine <laughs> when uh, basically... Quasar notes, uh, I guess to himself, but dinosaurs never lived alongside man, mm-hmm. which is an interesting thing to put in this comic because generally you'll see like, you know, 10 million years BC or these old caveman movies. Mm-hmm. And it's just accepted that if you have caveman in your dinosaur story, that's just the way it is. Sure. It's interesting that they'd, they'd go the extra mile to explain that this isn't natural. Sure, sure. Right? Yep. It's, it's just very different. Yeah, that's a good point because... At this point, some writers might have not even taken the time to bother with that. Right? Yeah. But uh, Mark Grenwald, actually, well, sorry, this is Ralph Macchio, but I was going to say Ra- Mark Grenwald is known for being very uh, pedantic, I guess you could say, about his uh, scientific facts, which mm-hmm. he carried over into Quasar. But I guess that was sort of just the rule of the day at Marvel, maybe, you know? Actually, I'm going to go back and check to see who the editor was. Oh, it was Jim Salakrip. Okay. Well, I guess it's just, you know. I guess it's just a step up from your typical sort of Saturday morning cartoon, yeah. you know, uh, <laughs> story. But um, no, I did notice that too. That was because I sort of just took it at face value when I was reading it. Yeah. It wasn't until he pointed it it's out. Like, that oh, it was of course, like, there's cavemen and dinosaurs. Yeah, of course. Like, you, you don't just accept it. it. But then yeah. when he pointed it out, you're like, oh, well, whoa, hold on, we are in reality. Okay. Which then again puts it like it's not the past. It's not prehistoric world. It is the land of the lost, right. where future, past, and present meet. And right. They add the the now there's almost a mechanized aspect to it with mm-hmm. uh, was it the rocks and company. Sure. And you know what? I should point out that when I said that I thought Mark Graham was better. I thought his plotting was better, but I thought that the prose in this issue was actually really good, and it made me really miss these older comics, the way they were written, right? They hunch like Neanderthals, but speak in a tongue of surprising sophistication. Large, clumsy hands lift the sprawled figure gently onto a crude sling, remarkably gentle. I mean... And and I like that writing, Right. but as... um... You told me to look out for examples of story told visually, which is, I guess, mm. what comics should be. I found in this particular spot you're actually looking at, um, PJ, that, that, yeah. that description's almost superfluous because the mm-hmm. visuals tell it perfectly, almost to the point where you don't need to, to, work, to have any words, right? Uh, I particularly, particularly like the, the panel where they're silhouetted with mm-hmm. him on the gurney. That's that's really good art. Like To me... I, I tend to lean towards newer comic art because I like atmosphere and color and lighting, mm. whereas I find all the old stuff's more flat, which is fine. Some people prefer that. But um, to me, like panels like that, is, so it's like the perfect medium of what I like about new art and sure. old art combined. Um, also, along the lines of visual storytelling, I don't think we need to be told that the large cave at the bottom of the page okay. is the leader's den. It has horns on it. It's different. Sure. I guess it's one of those things where... The, the narration isn't necessarily adding information you don't know, but it's adding context, I think. Like the fact that he says, um, 
the what is it domicile the domicile of the tribe's chief who like many rulers adorns his dwelling in to distinguish himself from others it's one of those things where you could piece that together yourself but that is the way that a book would do it right like a, a novel could just describe what the cave looks like but giving it the context of like other rulers well, and, and that's the thing about fiction right is you're supposed to show not tell right so uh, if i was to write a novel about this scene or sorry in my novel i have a chapter about this i would maybe describe a good book would describe this location as opposed to the other dens may com can compare them sure sure and sure. then the, leave it to the reader to infer this is where the leader lives whereas if i start dumping exposition in you that would be bad writing i think yeah so so you're saying granted like, since it's a comic i don't know if that would necessarily apply quite the same because well, it's a younger audience presumably right so ideally you're saying just showing small 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 and then this bigger one would be enough yeah and that's exactly what they uh -huh. do like the visuals like i said this whole page actually is absolutely perfect mm -hmm. in terms of just showing what they're doing uh, mm -hmm. the only thing that you wouldn't actually get across with the pictures is their their whispering or whatever it sure. says yeah, but speaking a tongue of surprising sophistication. Yeah. They couldn't really convey that without the text, so that seems like it's necessary. Well, the thing I like is, I mean, ideally, they would maybe use a little bit more variety in the angles, but, and by the way, we're talking about page eight here. I, I like how they're sort of above them here. Then we move back a little bit further to show the context of the trees around them. Then we move to a different angle farther away. They're kind of walking by. Then to a different angle here. I don't know. There's definitely, like, movement in all the panels, right? Yeah, you see different steps of what are happening. It's right. like they're gathered around, they're lifting them onto the gurney or whatever. Mm -hmm. They're transporting them. It, it's pretty good that way, actually. Mm -hmm. And actually, this next page here, page 9, it has, to me, a very Kirby feel to it. You probably don't know who Jack Kirby is, but he basically invented the Marvel style of art that all these artists at this time followed. And this panel in particular, panel 3 on page uh, 9, which is digital 9 as well, is absolutely pure Kirby. Just the, the the way his face is rendered, Quasar's face here, I just think it's excellent. You know, and, and again, you're talking about the visuals here. We see him sitting on the throne. We see him sort of down. They're all standing around. Pull back to a wider angle, then cut into like a nice close shot. It's just really nice it's art. very cinematic. Right, exactly. Especially the bowing frame where it's, it's it does exactly how you'd frame in a film too to keep him lower because he's showing humility. Right. Uh, as a hero should. Yep. Uh, now, since we're on this page, though, the very bottom right, I don't know how much I should harp on coloring of these old books. Sure. But, like, this shot of all these dinosaurs is absolutely atrocious because they're all just colored green. <sighs> yeah. Whereas later on, uh, there's a, I think it's not too far from here, there is just <clears throat> great coloring. Um, is it page... 14, yes. Okay. Page 14. That That is an example of what I would consider good dinosaur coloring. Each of them have like multiple tones to them yep. uh, with more texture, even mm -hmm. maybe more detail because it's a closer shot. It's also one of my favorite frames. It's just so, I guess you'd say comic booky, pulpy. Sure. Like he's, he's literally got like um, reins holding mm -hmm. the T-Rex and like, that's just great stuff. Well, you know what? It's funny because with Marvel Comics at this time, unfortunately, even if the writing's good and the art is and the pencils are good and the inking is good, a lot of times the coloring will be the weakest part of the book. And that's not an insult to colorists out there. But if you're going to cut corners, that's usually the last step, right? Yeah, so I could tell that. Yeah, so it's like, okay, let's just color everybody gray. And I, I remember growing up reading Transformers comics so often. It's like, okay, just make everybody blue or everybody red. And who's who at that point? God, it's so frustrating. Yeah, just like, come on. It's just... And I know that at the time, coloring was a painstaking process. Like, the way that they reproduce color, we're not going to go into it, but it was like, it was involved like plates and, you know, one red plate, one blue plate, and blah, blah, blah. And they cut things out sometimes. I don't know. I don't have no idea how it worked. I just know that it wasn't as simple as Photoshop. Just well, and yeah, there's, a, there's obviously a trick to it, too, though, because, again, this next page we're looking at here, the top frame is another one I like. And technically, the dinosaurs are going back to being all green. But because there's so many different colors, like the, the sky is a nice red, purple, mm -hmm. the vehicles are yellow. But they're, they're all simple colors. But because each thing has its own color, each thing sticks out more. Yeah. And there's just a lot to take in in this frame, too, like... So much stuff happening. Yeah, and it's funny because I'm not overly familiar with Ron Wilson, but I'm actually, and I don't think this is great art, but I'm surprised how good it is. Like it, it's very, it, it's appealing art. I wouldn't say good, but right. it's, it's fun to look at. And also, it tells a story, like you said. Yeah, there are artists who worked at Marvel this time. I guess the the most famous one would be Herb Trimpey, who Stanley said, Herb, you know, 
you, I think he said something like, you can't draw, but you can tell a story. And Herb Trimpey's art was known basically to be ugly. Like, his mm-hmm. figures looked ugly, his people looked ugly, but the st- his storytelling was so good that it didn't matter. He drew Hulk for, like, ten years or whatever, right? Everyone loved him. But it was kind of like this. Like, it wasn't pretty, but it got the job done, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, and this is, like, certain frames, I say, would be closer to pretty, maybe more so in the next issue. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> But anyway, okay, so let's... I'll just, this is a f- hilarious frame. Here, what page are we on now? Uh, uh, page 21, t- which is Top right on page 17. 21. When It's like, hurry, we have to catch him. They're like two feet from the villains, yeah, and the yeah. villains are just standing there like they yeah. don't notice anything. That yeah. should have been maybe a wide frame with more uh-huh. room in between. Good point. Um, that was a little bit confusing because I wasn't sure what was going on. But anyway, so they disappear. Well, in general, plot-wise, this is I was with this issue all the way until they get basically trapped yep. in this, this lost world. And I, I, I struggle to understand how they get out of this situation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because it, it looks to me like they're controlled. Because um, basically these oil pipelines are cut between dimensions. Yes. And um, Quasar figures, he can manipulate them from this side, mm-hmm. which boggles the mind that these control panels work through dimensions. But sure. Without the device. Because uh, for the readers, if listeners, sorry, if you haven't uh, followed this, the device has been taken at this point, so they, they're mm-hmm. trapped here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have no idea how he, like, why, if this is something he could do, why would the villain even think for a second they were stuck here? Okay. Like, what, what creativity is he used to, like, like, I don't understand it. The creativity of Quasar? Yeah, like, like it, seems, it seems like he's solving the problem. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of understand. Like, like, later on, when they have to jump in the tubes... He uses mm-hmm. his power to, like, protect them from the oil. Yes. That I understand. That's clever. That's cool. Mm-hmm. That's It's visual. But whatever he's doing to escape this this world makes zero sense to well, me. Well, anyway. well, that's later. We'll get to that later, right? Yeah. But um, I actually, before we get to the end of the story, I don't really have many notes, as you can see. <laughs> um, the only thing, I, I we've already talked about that. I just want to talk about um, some good dialogue that I noticed. It was on page 12. Um, just a minute here. Actually, we were almost at the end there, but I just want to talk about this. I love this. The bad guy's got him captured, and he's trying to get him to help him out. So the thing says, so that's why you went through this lecture, huh? Mister, your rotten outfit almost killed me and everybody else at Pegasus. Now you got the gall to ask if I want to join you? I ain't interested. So the bad guy says, suit yourself. If you reconsider any time in the next 30 seconds or so, my men will inform me. If not, you're a dead man. What a great threat! Like almost a James Bondian Definitely, level. Definitely, yeah. That yeah. that part I like, but the, everything leading up to it would I, I think that is actually kind of bad storytelling because they're, they're looking for an example for exposition. Sure. On this like very loose reasoning that he thinks maybe the thing will help him. Mm-hmm. That like I assume this guy knows something about the thing as a hero, and why would the thing ever turn to evil? Sure. So easily. Mm-hmm. So it's really just there for our benefit, and they're like, oh, here's a clever way for him to tell his evil plan. Without it seeming like he's just telling his evil plan for the sake of it. Sure, and I, I guess you, I guess this could have worked if there was more of a reason for thing for him to assume the thing would want to help him, right? Or some established motivation, like even beyond helping him, something that the thing needs. Sure, but it, yeah, it doesn't do it at all. So we were, we had actually almost made our way to the end of the story. So let's just jump ahead now, back to where we were. And so yeah, so the thing uses. Or sorry, Quasar uses his quantum bands, which are of course powered by stars, by quasars, right? Which were, were a kind sure. of star. Are they not dying stars? Is that what they are? Quasars. I, I'm not sure. I don't want to uh, like jump and quote that, but mm-hmm. we'll have to look that up later. It's been a while since I've seen Cosmos. Yeah, but um, so basically, uh, how do they get out of this thing? From what the Lost World? Yeah, that's what I'm trying to wonder. Like I read it three times in those pages. I see. Okay, let's just see here. So they're in this. They're in that dimension. And remember, um, the villain there, Pittman or whatever, he steals basically the weapon that allows them to move between dimensions. Okay. But the tubes are still there, half in our dimension, half in theirs. So it says here, all we got to do is follow the oil, and it's home sweet home. So we see that the oil is coming out. Well, we get that part. That's clear. It's it's a slightly above that where Quasar is like manipulating the controls. What's he mm-hmm. saying here? Uh, with luck, I I'll have gotten the coordinates right, and the adapters should reappear exactly where I want them to. He's looking at a screen here. Yes, I get that. Okay, okay. Uh, nth headquarters in Manhattan, and here they are. The viewer picked them up. All right, Ben, hit the valve again. Okay, so so it's it's either it's either exactly what I think it is, and the villain's just really stupid, 
or I'm missing something because if the villain just left these means here for them to just jump through these tubes. Yeah, I think the villain's just really stupid. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because you're right. Other than him protecting themselves, there's nothing that they did um, other than just riding the oil out to the other back to our dimension. And, and even without the protecting, like assuming you know there's controls to like move the oil to different dimensions, there's probably also controls to stop the oil in this dimension. So they probably don't even need to do that. Good like point. maybe I'm writing for them at this point. I sure. don't know, but it just seems kind of like a very forced uh, suspense sequence. I guess like sure. it's not really much of a problem. Yeah, good point. It, it was it was a minor obstacle and they overcame it. And, and it had so much like to be stuck in another dimension. There's a lot more you could do with that. But I think they're more interested in doing this this big brawl out mm-hmm. back in back in the the refinery or whatever you'd call it. But you know what though, and and. I'm going to contrast this with a lot of the other ones that Josh and I reviewed. Mm-hmm. At least there's no gratuitous fighting in this because... Oh, for sure. At least two of the stories that Josh and I covered had people running into each other, having a misunderstanding, fighting for like four pages, then going, oh, you know what, misunderstanding, okay, now let's work together. At least there wasn't that in this. Yeah, yeah both these uh, issues you made me read, they have like... Um, <laughs> that I read. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they have... Um, Almost like a, like I want to say like Twilight Zone or almost like Saturday morning cartoon, like adventure feel. Right. As opposed to, yeah, it's not just your typical superhero story. Uh, not to go too deep into films, but um, with like MCU films and such, mm-hmm. it's always like these big world ending stakes, good versus evil, villains and rivalries. Right. I'd like to see more of this kind of storytelling, to be honest, where it's like a, a standalone adventure where they use their powers to solve problems that obviously hopefully better than they do in this particular mm-hmm. case. You know what's really frustrating is I got into I was having a discussion with Becca, who mm-hmm. we all know, and she and I was saying I was saying yeah, um, I you know because if you remember at the end of Endgame, mm-hmm. well, Steve Rogers is no longer Captain America. He's mm-hmm. passed his shield on to Sam Wilson, the Falcon. Yeah, he's going to be Captain America now. And I said to Becca, I said, why don't they just recast him and get someone else to play Steve Rogers? And Becca said, well, I mean, he's had his. His time as Captain America, and now it's time for someone else. And I said, you realize there are 800 issues of Captain America, and so far they've filmed three of them. Yeah. Like, really, they did his origin, they did Winter Soldier. Winter Soldier was maybe a year-long story, and they did Civil War, which was not even Captain America, but that was like seven issues. There's hundreds of other Captain America stories they could do, right? Mm-hmm. It'd be like if Fantastic Four, if they did The Origin, they did Galactus, and they did one more, and then, okay, no, no more thing, no more... Fin- but well, then, I mean, it's kind of like if they killed Doctor Doom in the first movie, he's like their nemesis as sure. far as I know. It's like, it's like the Joker. There's so yeah. many Joker stories they could tell, right? And even here, it's like, here's a thing story that they're never going to turn to a movie, but it would make a good episode of a TV show, right? Yeah, like you think with the whole new streaming series, they maybe tackle more stories like this, hopefully. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they will, but... Probably not. They'll probably make all, write all new original and, stuff. And to be clear, I'm not saying this particular story is so great they should do it, just this kind of... This kind of story, yeah. exactly. And including the next one, too, is, again, like that one felt very, without getting too deep, very Twilight Zone almost, sure. right? Now, did you have any more notes you want to talk about with this story before we move forward? Uh, there's just like you know a few frames I like at the beginning when sure. there's um, what they called uh, skimmers are attacking them. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's a great shot of Quasar ducking the skimmer. I think it's the next page actually. Yeah, Quasar is ducking the skimmer, and the thing's kind of like doing like a Matrix kind of back dodge. Yes. That's just that's a cool visual. Like it, it might have flew above Quasar and just in front of the thing, which is again visual storytelling. Yeah, it's smart. You're right. It, it takes that extra, and that's that's the key thing about. There's so many modern artists that don't get this it's not just about how pretty it is or about how detailed it is it's just the thought of doing that when there's also like just really good composition in this frame particularly they have like they're small for scale to the larger skimmer they have some of the distance just to fill that empty space good point yep and then also you know even this panel here uh on we're on page five by the way we should have said that is the way that he's swinging the tree is nice, right? Like the the way that he's stuffed into the corner here, and then they're mm-hmm. using all this to give room to the tree to show, to show how, how big, big it was. That tree yeah, is, yeah, exactly. It's great. Uh, <sighs> I'm just looking at these pages. Uh, one thing, like, I guess I'm not a huge fan of the thing in general. Like, I found like because you told me to mention like look for bad dialogue. Okay. Most of the thing's jokes fell flat. You think so? Like which I, ones? Well, I, I like I, I appreciate that they give him like this almost like New York kind of like Brooklyn or wherever he's yeah. from dialect, and like it's really easy to go overboard with that and make it obnoxious and hard to read. They don't do that. It, it's it's really well done. Um, but just in general, I, I don't have any uh, specific examples. Sure. I just find almost everything he says is kind of like. 
Like whenever he cracks it, I think he makes a joke about Yoda in the first page. Yeah, I noticed that too. <laughs> and like, that was bad. That's unnecessary. Yeah, he can make, make Godzilla reference at some point. Yeah, watch out, watch out! Some midget with long pointy ears don't come waltzing by trying to turn us into Jedi Knights. Yeah, because they're in a swamp sea. Yeah, like they could have done that <laughs> joke with half as many words and have been funnier. Yeah, or even not at all. Or not at all. <laughs> I also, I also like um, uh, go back a few pages here. Uh, what page is this? And one more, one more again. <laughs> And then go down with pages this. Okay, this is page three, which is digital four. Yeah, top top panel of this. I, I like the wide establishing shot sure. of the operations. Yep. Uh, again, this is where the simple coloration is nice because you can tell exactly what is not supposed to be there because it's dark purple. Sure, sure, sure. Um, and it just, again, it's, it's a lot of almost like, I don't want to say world building, but it's you, you learn a lot just by looking at this. Like they're using dinosaurs to move oil drums. They got mm -hmm. refineries. You can see the command center, which comes into play later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just, I, I don't know, I, I like these wide shots where you see a lot. It's the same way with movies generally. Mm -hmm. Just a preference, I guess. No, that's a good point. That's a good point. Again, it's like, it goes back to, uh, you're getting the information. It's pulling, it, it's like, I think it was John Romita said, the problem with modern day art is when people think, when people th recall modern art, they think about the image itself. They're like, oh, that's a great shot of Batman. Mm -hmm. But it should not be that. It should be, they should remember the story. Mm -hmm. of what the art did for the story to tell the story that's what you should remember it's just like when we talk about movies you don't usually say oh remember that one shot in that movie and the lighting on his face i mean unless you're a cinematographer or a photographer why would you talk about that well yeah there's, there's an aspect of it to appreciate um as yeah. art but then like the, the best shots are the ones that blend that with also like oh the lighting is on his face that way for a reason to mm -hmm. convey something right? right 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 not just to be pretty yeah so, okay, anything else to say about this issue? Do you have more? It looks like you have uh, quite a bit. Yeah, there's a, okay. there's a lot. Let's uh, talk. Let's keep going. Why not, right? Oh, I was going to ask about, like, again, it's my first experience with Quasar. He's, he's, he can create light, right? Is it, or is it energy? I think it's, like, hard light. Just, like, it's almost so like it is a hard green light. lantern. Okay. Like, it's shapes, like... like. So you can make it a shape. Sorry, yeah. that, that, that was my understanding of it. Because it, it, it makes that disc for the ride on one mm, point. Yep. Pretty cool. Yeah, because I think the thing... He makes a joke about it. Um, he's he's uneasy about riding on this disc right. of light. I guess he's not. But too then the confident point, in Quasar. Yeah, he actually says, um, uh, you know, even after what we've been through, it's still unnerving riding a hundred feet high on something made out of light beams. Yeah. And then he and then Quasar says, "Don't worry, I'm setting us down right away." And the thing says, "I was only joking, Junior. I uh, skip it. <laughs> Just yeah, it, dialogue's not great, but it's it's decent. Yeah, it's all right. Yeah." And then the quasar himself, his his design is I, I like him. He's he's like almost a cross of like almost like a Greek Herculean kind of hero with like a luchador. Just, just okay. like looking at him, that's what I see. Just okay. he's almost got even like the WWE belt on. Yes. <laughs> now you wouldn't know this, but his costume is actually adopted from an older superhero called Marvel Boy from the fifties. Okay. So he this costume was designed in the fifties. And that's why it kind of has a little bit of a throwback, like the cape, the weird sleeves with the design on them, and like the weird. But boots. it doesn't like like I don't know enough about comics to know like oh that's a fifties design or whatever. But it doesn't even look fifties to me. It looks like, like I said, like ancient Greece or something, almost okay. like like almost mythological, right? Yeah, you could argue that. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I guess the combination of these boots with those sleeves is and, a and little his, bit. And his headband, his haircut. Good point. I never just, even thought about that. It's a cool look. I don't know. Like, you had that. You had your robots. You got your dinosaurs. Not robots. Or your machinery, your dinosaurs, mm -hmm. your cave people. It just, I don't know. It just hits all the right boxes for me. Yeah. Well, that's a good point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, feel free, because I've, I've used up my two lines worth of notes. So anything else you'd like to talk about here? Uh, no, I think that's. I, th I think I've hit most of the main ones I want to talk about for this one. Um. So, did you have any impression of Quasar's personality, or was he kind of a blank slate? Yeah, I'd say closer to blank. Like, okay. like the thing has a lot of personality. Sure. Maybe by contrast, he's blank. Right. Uh, as aside from just generic hero traits, right? Sure. He's noble. He's honorable, right? Which I think mean the same thing. Sure, sure, yeah. No, good point though. Yeah, I and I was kind of like I kind of half expected that, but Quasar is pretty generic at this point. I mean, he even when he got his own series, he was kind of just an everyman anyway. Like it's not like he had like a a speech pattern the way the thing does or the mm -hmm. way Wolverine has his tagline. But we but... Did, I also I, I didn't get anything of his his backstory in this, sure. I guess, which is and not necessary, but just for my own benefit, like it might like 
like Spider-Man is kind of quippy or whatever, but a lot of Spider-Man's appeal comes from him being a teenager and the sure. scenario is life scenario, right? Yeah. Whereas, I mean, I don't know if Quasar has something similar or if he's just Quasar. The only thing is in the previous, one of the previous stories, it was emphasized how young and inexperienced he is. Mm-hmm. And so I think in this story, at one point, they do call him junior or son or young. So it is implied that he's young, but looking at him, there's no way to tell that also, he's... Also, doesn't the thing like work under him? Isn't that the Technically, yes, but, yeah. he, but he still calls him son, I yeah. think. Yeah. Well, it, so. just, it just makes him seem not inexperienced if he's like in charge of something. Yeah, I mean, but... I, I guess some people may argue. And, and I don't know how old the thing's supposed to be, but the fact that he was best friends with Reed Richards, and Reed Richards has gray hair, yeah. I think it was implied he was like 30, 40-ish. Uh, and then Sue Storm was like young, like 18, 19. So it was always like that weird dynamic uh-huh. of the relationship. So I'm going to assume Quasar is like 20, 21, maybe 25, mm-hmm. but still much younger than the thing. So... But anyway, let's go on to the second issue. So, again, the reason that we're reading... Uh, do you want me to pause it? Uh, I'm just... Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> let me pause it. The new paper's ready here. No, I, I, I just gotta grab them. Okay. There's just the two. Okay. Oh, and this... Okay, yeah. Okay. Okay. All right, yeah, I just, I just don't want to make the rest Yep, thing. okay. Here we are, Quasar, Marvel 2-in-1, with the Thing and the Puppet Master. Okay, so here we are on to the next issue. This is Marvel 2-in-1, number 74, from April 1981. Uh, at this point, I was five years old. This was I don't know if I'd bought any comics by then, but within a year, I did start reading comics for the first time. And so this is my era. This is what I love, and that's why we're doing these comics. The reason we picked this issue is because it does have a brief cameo appearance by Quasar, and this is the Quasar chronology, so that's why we're reviewing it. However... Yeah, my notes for... Because, again, he said, oh, mention uh, what you think about Quasar. My notes for Quasar in this comic was, he shows up to the party with no discernible character or purpose. This is true. (laughs) This is true. But technically, we're only calling attention to this because he was listed... Like, this issue was listed as... As a Quasar issue. As a Quasar issue. But, I mean, they're not obligated to give him lines, I guess. But anyway... I think it's one line, maybe. Yeah. Whatever. (laughs) So, the first thing i got to say about this is I think the art's better. I'm not going to say it's better, but it's cleaner and more appealing. I like it better. Yeah. Frank Springer, who I was introduced to through, I think, one or two issues he did of Transformers. And then I found out he had this, of course, decade career before then. And he's actually a, he's actually a pretty uh, good artist. Not really well-known nowadays, but he was a really good artist. Uh, written by Mark Grenwald, who we talked about earlier, who went on to do the Quasar um, monthly series in 1990. Um, I personally think this issue is better written. The story, and you know what? We're going to actually, no, I like the premise in this one better too. Mm, but I'd argue, but uh, I, I don't not like it. I just, I just prefer, I think the other one, again, because it had such, it, it reached to current events more. It okay. just seemed like it had more like value as, okay. as a piece of art to me. Then this is this is fun. It's entertaining. It has a nice mystery to it. Uh, I don't want to go too deep just yet, but the, the resolution leaves something to be desired to me. Okay, well, we'll just briefly summarize that the Fantastic Four are doing Christmas shopping. A very day in the life. Yep, very day in the life. And um, it is suggested that they write a Christmas card to the Puppet Master. The reason being that the thing is dating Alicia Masters. Alicia Masters' father is the Puppet Master. Philip uh, Masters. What is his name? I think it's Philip. Philip, look at this. I should have known that. Hold on a second. I'm just making sure we're recording. It's because the initial would be P Master. Okay, right, right. <laughs> so anyway... Um, which I think is actually an interesting idea because it just so happens to coincide when he's getting out on parole. So he cooks up a scheme that we don't really know about until later, but he decides to join the Fantastic Four on the Christmas party, and things get crazy after that because um, he ends up... Do you want to talk about this? Yeah, well, basically, he, he has this was a radioactive clay right. he uses to basically exert his will onto people. Uh, he ha- he's just gotten out of prison. He wants to get back to his evil doings, but he has no clay. He needs to get to the Balkans where he found it. Right. Um, and he figures the way he can do that is to manipulate the fa- Fantastic Four, uh, basically through guilting Reed Richards' son. <laughs> right, right. To letting him, him, the Thing, and Alicia take the plane to the Balkans. Yes. Uh, where he originally found the clay and can hopefully find more. Mm-hmm. And from there, things get weird. <laughs> It's really weird. Very like, weird. Like, he runs into these giant wooden soldiers in the forest. At this point, I mean... Well, it's important to know he slips out uh, undetected. Because um, the, the thing I like... Uh, I, I complain about the thing's dialogue in the last issue. But I like it in this because from the start, he's suspicious. And mm-hmm. I like his little thought bubbles always being like, 
oh, I don't know, you know, this ain't gonna last. And mm-hmm, he's, he mm-hmm. knows from the start what's gonna happen. Sure. So he's not surprised when when the puppet master slips out. Alicia is. Yep. Uh, and the puppet master vanishes because these soldiers take him, uh, presumably. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, there's a little bit of a mystery of where he went, what's happening, and they're sent towards this this wise elder that li- I think is an old woman. They say that lives in the mountains. Mm-hmm. And that's where they lose me. Like what? I understand what's happening. I don't know if this has the history. Like obviously, it mentions they've met met, met this wizard character before, Doctor uh, or not Doctor Wizard. Uh, what the heck's his name again? Oh, which one? You mean the white-haired wizard dude there? Oh, uh, Mordred. Yes, Mordred. That's it. Yeah. And it's also funny because they mentioned in the notes that there's a part where they're talking, and in the notes it says like the editor puts most recently in Marvel Two and One Sixty Two, Ben and Alicia also met Mordred in. Uh, number 33 but their memories of it were magically erased yeah, is that did so, that actually happen apparently yeah it did happen okay. but their, their memories were erased it's like i love it right i just wonder if it's like a snide joke like the writer forgot or oh, something no, no no i think their memories were actually erased. no i can't prove that but i'm knowing what i know about comic books they it's were probably erased. true yeah. yeah now also as you're reading the story and they're introduced to this woman named bova yeah at what point did you know that was going to lead so did you know that was going to lead to her well i mean like when she takes off the hoods on her yeah <laughs> no but just like, clicked, bova, I'm like but, wait a yeah. minute okay i i think it's great and i obviously i've come across this character before but this is i think the first time i've seen one of these characters used in a story and it was i, I thought it was just great the way they slipped it in I don't uh, to, know. to me it's like like, I, I don't know much about the value of this character, like, outside of this issue. Mm-hmm. But in this particular story, it kind of only serves to complicate some... Like, it's an added complication of information, almost. Because like they have to explain why there's a sentient cow. Okay. And they have to mention this grand transmuter or something like that, whatever his name is. Uh-huh. Um, and then, then, like, the focus should be on Mordred and Puppet Master disappearing. Like, those are the two key points, I think. Mm-hmm. Her just it just is unnecessary. Like there's three panels at the bottom of page twelve here. Yeah, <laughs> it's just exposition. Well, she explains. Just, oh, just for my benefit, surely. But, but you know what? I, I guess. So what you're saying is this could have been anyone. It didn't have to be Bova. I don't. Like, it just could have been a wise old woman who takes care of lost souls. But you know what? This is the rule in the Marvel universe. Okay, this is what I've learned. If you're reading an issue of any random comic and someone in that comic needs a lawyer, guess who they're going to call? Matt Murdock. Oh, okay, that makes sense. You know, if they need anything to do with magic, they're gonna call Doctor Strange. Do they need the cow person? No, they don't need the cow person. But it's like this could be any woman. But it's like, well, who who could it be? That's already been established in the Marvel universe. Let's go through our back issues and be like, oh, they're in the Balkans. Well, uh, maybe this other story was established that she was there. So let's use her. But couldn't they just like use this opportunity to create a new character who like next time someone. You know, some superhero falls from grace and needs help. They go visit this new character, and no, she comes could. back a different way. They could. You're totally right. They could, but I don't know. I know what you're saying, but I see no problem with it. It's not like inherently. It's not, it's not, I'm not saying it's awful. I'm just yeah. saying it's like that took me out quite a bit right there because there's a weird thing. There's enough sure. weird stuff going on, and that's completely disconnected from the rest of the weird stuff going on. Yeah, I don't know. I guess the way I took it, like at this point of the story, I felt like I was either in a hammer horror film or in like a fairy tale. And so the fact that you yeah, have definitely this, fairy tale, you're yeah, right about that. Like the other talking cow woman seems more like a fairy tale. It, it sort of adds to the feel of the, a fairy tale. So I didn't uh, mind I it. I can see that, I guess. Yeah, and like you know the wooden soldiers, and I don't know. I actually, I really liked it. Like I liked this story because it's so outside of what I usually see. And like a Fantastic Four story, because usually it's more science fiction, and this is almost more definitely yeah, fantasy, magical, yeah, yeah, mystical. I don't know. I really liked it. I love like it's weird because I think Chick Stone's a good inker, and I think Frank Springer's a great artist. But I've seen his art look better, so I don't know if they're a perfect match. But I do think the art is really good. Well, yeah, I liked um, like I was talking about the last one. There wasn't like a lot of atmosphere in a lot of shots, whereas this one, especially really early on when Puppet Master first escapes, or not than escapes, he's let out. He's on when he's parole. Like, on parole. Like oh, that whole page, that. The ne- those two pages in general, like where you see like him being watched from behind bars as he's walking through the rain, the yep. rainy docks, uh, the, the nightlight, like like the shot of like, I don't know what city this is, in New York or something. I think it's New York. It's just, yeah. it's just gorgeous. And then even when he gets in his lab, it's still very stark, like yellow lighting. It's like his work light, the hanging puppets. Right. Yeah. And I love, like, this almost feels like Steve Ditko to me, but here we're on page five. So we see him walking through the street, it's, you know, atmospheric here, like looking over his shoulder, opening up the door to his 
um, to his his old uh, lab or whatever you want to call it. And I just love how he's this tiny little figure in the middle, but we see everything else, right? It's it's just been sitting there waiting for him. To yeah. Get well, it's 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 also because this, unlike the previous issue, this one just plays with light and shadow a lot more, mm-hmm. and that that's what's creating that atmosphere, right? Uh, and that's like the one you just mentioned with the, the puppets. That's that's excellent framing, right? Mm-hmm. Like like he's framed within a frame. Good point. Which Good is point. just it just draws your eye to him, even though he's so small. It draws the eye to him. I also love this trick in older comics where instead of rendering a background, they'll sort of just draw this harsh contrast between the shadow and the light, and we can actually see where it's created here. Yeah, from like a hanging. Yeah, yeah, from a hanging light. But I love how here it's just yellow. And then we're back to here. We see the triangle. And then in the bottom here on page five, we see just that little thing there. But it does add to it because it, it kind of helps frame him a little bit, right? So it's kind of nice. And it also like, it almost, it's in a weird way, it gets rid of dead space mm-hmm. by adding, it's like the it's, it's like the flattest colors you can imagine. But somehow it does limit the dead space just by having the contrast. Good point. Yeah, good point. And then, like, um, just jumping ahead a little bit, once they get to the Balkans, it's similar. Like, there's some flat stuff in between at the party, but then, like, them arriving at the hotel, um, mm-hmm. which page is this? This is page nine. Nine. That kind of stuff. I like that, where it's like, and when he gets in the woods shortly after, too, and the Puppet Master comes to the woods, it's oh, very atmospheric. So good. It almost looks like X-Files or something. You're right. Yeah, like, this extreme uh, bird's-eye point of view of him coming out into the snow from the hotel. Then it cuts to a lower angle, looking up the mountains behind him, again, showing where he is, right? The environment, the geography. Well, it almost almost shows, like, I don't know if it's intentional. He's larger than life. Like, the mountains are almost okay. smaller than he is because yeah. it's this low angle. That's a good point. That's a good point. And then it cut back to here. This again, a wide shot in the trees. Then he's digging, and then we see him reacting to seeing these giant wooden soldiers. It's excellent. I love it. Even if you took out all the dialogue, I could just sit here and just look at this art. I just love it. Yeah, this is this is excellent art. Yeah. Even like the... Because I was complaining about the coloring in the last issue a lot, and this one doesn't seem to be as much of an issue, like here and there. Mm-hmm. But in general, it just seems to be a lot... More tones in each frame. Okay, you know what? We're going to do ourselves a favor. Let's see who... The colorist on this issue is... Russo, someone Russo, I'll have to look it up. Actually, you know what, I can look it up later. Um, and then 73, apologies to colorist because they didn't use the, include the, oh, George Russo. So same colorist, maybe he just more had, time. maybe he said more time. Or more motivation. <laughs> more motivation, yeah. <laughs> but definitely good. Um, so as far as, yeah, this story gets kind of tricky because then the thing and the puppet master wake up and realize they've been shrunk. Which is kind of an odd place to go from giant wooden soldiers to miniature people. Uh-huh. It, it just that that I don't know if they ever get back to explaining why the soldiers were giant. I don't know either. I thought maybe that they were wrong and maybe he was already shrunk, but that would make sense because the, the trees were normal. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't really know. I don't remember how they resolved that and I just read it. Or if they even addressed that. But yeah, it goes on that um They've both been shrunk, so they have to work together, uh, you know, unlikely allies, that old story, mm-hmm. to uh, basically get this fixed. And the only one that can fix it is the guy who caused it, this Mordred guy, mm-hmm. who's been through some event. I think he's possessed by a demon, it said, or something like that, a previous issue. Mm-hmm. And now he's been reduced to basically the mind of a child. And is it not that he is basically living out... He's, he's Something about he's using his toys. I forget exact, the exact explanation for why... Is basically when he sleeps, his dreams are being brought to life with right. his toys, and somehow have included Puppet Master and the thing. I just love the fact that yeah, basically Alicia convinces him to restore them back to normal size. Yeah, that was I think the best dialogue for me. Yep, the two persons you made small are my father, and my boyfriend. They are good people who love me, just like Bova loves you. It would make me very sad if they stayed tiny. You must make them big again. Even just right before that too, when she mentions. Um, they look different, but they're not necessarily bad. Right. Just because... It, you know what? I can't believe I missed that because I had that in my notes. Just because they look different does not mean they're bad, Mordred. Uh, I look different from other people and I'm not bad. You're right. It is great. Yeah, it's it's gr- just a great moral. Yep. Like, like people say there's not a lot of value. Like, oh, it's just a comic for kids, right? But right. like, if they do stuff like that, that's what... It, it makes it you know, almost like a good children's story would do, right? Like, you have something to take from it. Yep. It's still fun. It's still an adventure. You know, it is disposable in many ways. But just adding that little bit of something... That's a good point. And if you're listening out there, that is why I don't agree with the Batman story where they show a big close-up of his dick. Because I don't think that is, has a place in a Batman story. <laughs> it has a place in pornography. It does not have a place in a Batman story. But that's just me. 
And by the way, that story is real. Uh, I assumed it was. You mentioned yeah. it. Uh, previous frame, uh, page one more time. No, sure. Uh, uh, my favorite piece of art is actually this one, just one shot of him being red. Uh, Mordred Here? is red on this page. Oh, yeah. And as he's focusing really hard on page 26 or 28. 28, yeah. He's focusing really hard, and it just cuts to red on yellow. Yeah. And, like, that gets everything across. Yeah. I mean, again, maybe a little bit of a rush job, but it gets the job done. You're well, right. It tells a, the story. It's the example where, to me, like, a rush job is good because it's, it's almost, like, stylistic, right? Yeah. Yeah. Impressionistic, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the word. Oh, uh, I don't know. I got to say, I also, I really like the fact, actually, let me just go back to my notes here. Um, oh, yeah. Sorry. I got to mention this. Um, I love this when the, this is going back when they're still shrunk on page 26, which is digital 20. Um, when Bova is sitting on the on the uh, bed, and you see this little tiny word bubble. Hey, lady, watch where you're sitting. And we see that the thing is underneath her her ass. I just thought that was funny. <laughs> I didn't even notice. Oh, you noticed that? Oh, yeah, it was great. I thought it was great. Um, and then I got another note here. Let's see. Oh, yeah, page twelve. <laughs> Wait, I, I, okay, we're kind of going out of order here. Sorry, guys. There's a lot to take in. But uh, yeah, back on on page twelve. I love when he when Bova pulls off her hood and reveals that she's a, a cow woman. Uh, the thing's reaction is, holy, you're a cow! <laughs> Which weird. is so bad, it's good. Yeah, exactly. That, yeah. Yep. Um, I also love on the last page, um, Puppet Master's solution here. So Puppet Master basically says, um, I want to tell you something. Modred, I want to tell you something. You don't have to be asleep to make your wooden friends move. Dreams can be real in the daytime too, if you wish hard enough. Think about him. Tell him to be real. I, Hey, Mordred, let's go and play. What do you say? So now Mordred has taken one of his wooden toy soldiers and he, they've become real. Thanks, Mr. Wizard. So now they're walking away. So then the thing says, now what do you got to go and tell a kid that for? No telling what kind of mischief he's going to get into knowing what he can do that. Puppet Master says, he was lonely, Grim. His dolls were his only friends. I was showed how to have better friends. Or sorry, I only showed him how to have better friends. Yeah? When did you become a child psychologist? He says, I was much like Mordred as a child, alone, different from others. Puppets were my only companions too. They got to be an obsession with me. Later, I began to treat people like the puppets of my youth. Perhaps if Mordred learns now to treat dolls like people instead, he will not follow the lonely path I did. Oh, Father, you need never be as lonely as long as I'm here. It's like, holy shit, this is a supervillain that has been evil going back to like the beginning of Fantastic Four and just to humanize. And I don't know every puppet master story, mm -hmm. but I'm saying just to humanize him like that and to have him again try to help this kid and provide a lesson to the reader. I think that's great. What do you think? Yeah, yeah for him to, to see some of himself in this character. Right, yeah, and, and to, empathize with to, him. To do, I guess you'd say, the right thing. Um, this may go bad, who knows? Yeah, it may go bad. And <laughs> also... Morally, maybe the right thing. Yeah, it's also... Even if it's not right in general, it's interesting to see him have this point of view. Even the fact that he's trying to help the kid is just fascinating. I also want to point out in the last panel, they're flying away in their rocket ships. as later... You know something, Baldy? I think I like you as a villain better. Leastwise, then you were more predictable. Puppet Master says, don't worry, Graham. The mood will pass. <laughs> Happy holidays to all. Like, what yeah, a great ending, what eh? What a great note to end on. <laughs> oh, I love it. So I just got to say that Josh and I have read other issues of Marvel 2-in-1, mm -hmm. which I'd never read before. And this is a series I never would have even considered reading. And now I'm like, you know what? Holy shit. Now I've got to read every Marvel 2-in-1. I don't know what you think. Uh, but I am motivated. Are you motivated... Let's put it this way. You've only read a tiny handful of comics in your whole life. Uh -huh. I'm getting the impression based on your notes and your reaction here that you're liking these comics. Well, yeah, I did enjoy it. I, I have nothing against comics. For me, it's just I got too many things I'm into. So for me, it's I like, see. you know, if I got I got movies and video games and TV shows and you throw comics in there and then... I can't afford to buy all the movies I want to watch. Fair and... point. Fair point. Okay. <laughs> but, I, but I do like when I do read one. I, I tend to enjoy them. I guess I'm not difficult to please with these, so take that as you will for my review of this, right? <laughs> but um, anyway, go back to this one. There's a couple of frames I want to mention. Yeah, sure. Um, definitely when they're fighting the toys, most of those panels I don't like. I find it's kind of they're not the best fight scenes, but I do love the shot where it, right. I think it's uh, go back one more, maybe. No, go forward two. When he's climbing the dresser, he's being... Oh, yeah. I should go back. It's right Okay. It's right here. Top right of page... What are we on? 21. 21 which is digital the, 17. The the depth of field here, like like perspective, where the, yeah. the, the soldiers are shooting cannonballs at the thing as he's scaling the dresser with the puppet master being carried like fireman style. Sure. 
and like they're in the foreground. You can see all the cannonballs next to them, and they're shooting way in the distance. You see exactly how tall the dresser is compared to them, the distance they're firing. It just I, I like that kind of perspective. Sure, sure, yeah. Um, and then also I think there's a funny line around here somewhere where it's like the thing is like what page is this on? Examples of oh yeah, on page eighteen the thing is is a surprise when Puppet Master has magic clay on him. And the Puppet Master thinks to himself something along the lines Oh, of, actually, I managed to pocket a small amount just before the wooden soldiers captured me. Is that the one? Yeah, that's last-minute rewrites, you could tell. Yeah, probably. Yeah, you're right. That's probably right. Yeah. That, that's what I would write. If I was writing a story like this, I'm like, uh-huh. oh, crap, he needs magic clay. Oh, I happened to grab some just before I was captured. Yeah, good point. Good it just, point. That's bad. And then uh, in terms of bad art, too, there's, like, one hilarious shot of the thing with, like, a Home Alone expression on his face. Where's that? Uh, that is page 26. Okay, 26. I think he's yelling. Oh, she's right trying there. To get attention, but like maybe the thing as a character is hard to convey emotion, or maybe it has uh-huh. to be done a certain. He has these like glazed over, like little tiny eyes. Like, yeah. Like, no expression. Not the best. Not yeah, the like, best. I'll it, agree with you the there. thing in general, I find just from these two issues, he's hard to to get right with emotion. Mm-hmm. Because his face is so exaggerated, right? And that's true. I mean, Jack Kirby created him, but uh, Frank Springer, he's actually really good at drawing, like, well, women. Like, he's really good at the human figure. Mm -hmm. And maybe the science fiction elements are not his forte, you know? Maybe he's just better at drawing. Because, I mean, you can spend your whole life learning how to draw the human figure perfectly, but if you don't want to draw orange rocks, you might never have learned to draw that properly. So maybe he's just not comfortable with the thing. Well, I think just in general, the design doesn't lend itself as well. Like, no sure. offense, like, it's a cool design, just in terms of, like, subtle emotions. Sure. Um, but it's not, I mean, that's not exactly a subtle emotion I pointed out, but just in general, he's not capable of emoting it as much as yeah. any of these human... Even Puppet Master has this permanent, like, scowl or grimace on his face, but even he seems to get a little more across. Like, when he is trying to exert his will right here, this page mm-hmm. 22, bottom left, like, he somehow gets even more hideous when he's, like, straining himself mm-hmm. to use this clay. Sure, sure. And again, I'm going to point out, like, I know you're not familiar with Steve Ditko, but I do get a Ditko feel from a lot of this art. Um, some of it is almost a little bit sloppy, but it's made up for with this, you know, the emotion that's put into it. I really like it. Yeah, for sure. The emotions, for the most part, are very good in this. Um, mm-hmm. And also, I like the incredible Shrinking Man kind of, like, style. Sure. Just like, like um, one thing, actually, with a previous issue I didn't mention, but... Um, with the dinosaurs and the machines, they kind of tend to change size a lot. Like, the scale wasn't super consistent. Sure. Whereas in this one, I found they did a really good job of, like, the dressers always seems the same size okay. in comparison to the thing, right? Like, it, I don't know if there's more attention to detail put towards that or not, but it definitely seems that way. Like, like I never, like, got taken out by, oh, he looks way too big sure. compared to the previous time we saw that. Sure. That's a good point. Overall, I guess... My impression is, um, I think that, well, I think this artist is better, but um, it's also just classic Marvel-style storytelling, which is Jack Kirby-style storytelling. But, you know, even, again, on this last page, like, there's a lot of variety, like, a lot of information. Okay, like, she's putting him to bed, they're walking away, they're kind of waving, right? Mm-hmm. So we know exactly what's going on. Let me, he- look, 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 let me help you. You know like what I mean? Leaning like, in, Yeah, leaning yeah. in, then the close-up of what he's looking at, and then he's kind of scolding him now, but they're still waving. And then just that, I love that. And then she's hugging him, you know, her father. And that final shot of it flying away, it's just great. I just love it. Mm-hmm. It's hard to explain, I guess. It's almost like sometimes with art like this, especially with there's an artist named John Buscema that I really like. It's almost like the art is so good that it's almost like it's a silent film with dialogue added on top of it, you know? It's like if you were to take the, the dialogue away, I, I don't want to say that the dialogue is almost an unfortunate thing that you have to put in, but that's the only... I don't want to say it's a weakness of comics, but the dialogue is... It's almost like if every movie you watched had subtitles. Mm-hmm. That's what a comic book is, right? Well, I would say it's like the dialogue is important, especially in certain... More of the more outlandish stuff, like mm-hmm. like anything with, with Bova or Mordred's powers being explained, like you have to have the dialogue. But like you're saying, this, this last page especially, like it, it's almost all visual, right? Right. Uh, the dialogue, uh, in this case, accentuates it, I think, mm-hmm. uh, just because it is important. But you can tell just by looking at roughly what's happening. Well, and also, like, we're just kind of, we're talking about this one last page here, page 30. Yeah. You notice, too, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight panels. These tiny little panels, and every one of them... Are almost all uniform. 
but and also but they're, they're their own little photograph right like there's no rush job here there's no well we'll just throw in a close-up of an eyeball just to fill in a page no every every panel has its own like composition you know what i mean like they took mm-hmm. the time to like he didn't cheat and just oh I'll just throw in a close-up of a coffee cup just to it's almost like in film you know like there's such a thing as coverage Oh, we'll just show a close-up of the guy's hand just to fill. Because, like, like I, I would say bad directors do that. Yeah. Like, they kind of just dump in shots just to fit, like to, to hide cuts and to stuff like that. Well, yeah, you know. if you're doing the close-up, it should be to show something, to not show just a, a detail. It right, matter. to move the story yeah. forward. Yeah, and that's exactly, there's no rush job here. And so, basically, with this comic, we have... Actually, now you're mentioning that. Now we're being, like, super praising of bottom page 30. I'm looking, why is the thing on the left, then the right? Like, I guess he passes the, at, at that I part. think the camera just goes like this. That's moves what to the right, you think? I think so, yeah. Maybe. Depending where the mountains go. Okay, maybe. I don't know. That, I'm just, that's the one exception we're talking about. I'm sure. just looking at now. But yeah, to me. It's the, not, it didn't strike me until just walking, this moment. Yeah, he, they've just moved in different positions, I think, personally. But who knows? But I don't know. I mean, to me, it's like you could look at any page and just analyze it. And I think they're all great. An excellent use of diagonals, you know what I mean? Like, and look at like this sweeping motion, like on page twenty-three. You know what I mean? Like, there's movement in every panel that makes your eye move through it. You know, like look at that big close-up of the eye, then then to a wide shot, then to a different angle. Yeah, I to... think when I, when I was talking about like the fight scene, um, when things fight in the toys, it wasn't like inher- like it's easy to follow. Uh, and the movement's good, like you said. Well, not this page. This page is actually good. This is the dresser stuff I like. Uh, go back one more. Like like th- this right here. Like basically, this this snake comes at the thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> he grabs the snake, then dodges the spinning top, and it's like you can tell exactly what's going on. So it's good in that way. Yeah. But I just think with like this whole premise of he shrunk down fighting toys, it could be a lot. There's a lot more interesting things you could do than what they chose to do. Sure. Maybe they were rushed for time or whatever. But like when he's climbing the dresser and they're shooting him with the cannonballs, I think that's creative and fun. Sure. When he's just wrestling with toy soldiers and the snake. It, it's not quite so... Uh, not as creative. Yeah, it, despite being well done and easy to follow, it's it's, mm. it's almost like a missed potential. Okay, okay. Did you have any other notes that you wanted to go over from this issue? Uh, I, I, I didn't know anything about Alicia in the thing, and it's kind of funny she mentioned she's blind like three times, which is good right. for me, but right. it might be kind of annoying if you already knew that. No, yeah, yeah, but you know what? I knew she was blind, but it didn't stand out to me as um, being forced She just in kept there. mentioning it. Yeah. And also, like, there's a hilarious part, right, when they first get into the Balkans? At least I thought it was funny. Uh, okay. They're like landing the spaceship or the Fantastic Force ship. Uh, one, one more back, I think. It's like a big, tall, vertical frame. No, it must be here, right? No. Page uh, nine, page ten. No. Okay, where one is second. it? One second. I wrote down. Uh, okay. the, the, page nine. I'll just land in this cornfield. Oh. Um, oh, this one. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, right there it is. Remember the, the things yeah. like, oh, I'll just land in this cornfield. And then the dialogue between Alicia and uh, her father is just so generic and thrown in there. Yeah. Oh, father, I'm so excited. So am I, Alicia, dear. Okay, like, you're right. Why is that even there? That's a good point. I mean, <laughs> and yeah. It's it, it just bizarre. Yeah. And also, like, his line makes no sense, too. It's like, watch for stray cows. It's like, what are they going to do? Good point. <laughs> yeah. It's like, just not a very good joke. Yeah. Looks like we're a little late to do any sightseeing, chums. We can find lodging for the night in the inn. I sure hope you brought a Berlitz book? What is that, <laughs> I don't know a word of Balkanese. Oh, okay, I see. Anyway, I don't know. I think it's great. Uh, again, this just supports my theory that I need to read not only every issue of Marvel 2-in-1, but I don't know if I told you about my recent project I started where I was going to attempt to read every Marvel comic from, like, 1961 to, like, 1990. That's, like hundreds or thousands oh yeah that's like thousands yeah and i the first couple years of marvel are not consistently good so it was hard to get through some of those comics but this motivates me to keep going well there's always gonna be a a diamond in the rough right yeah it's probably more good than bad and this is like 81 so i mean this is also my era like mid to late 70s and mid 80s around there that's my era so i mean maybe i won't read all of them i mean i did read like 40 issues of Captain Marvel, Marvel, mm-hmm. and they were all bad. They were all bad. Hmm. And so I definitely am probably, if I if I hit a block of issues that are all by one writer and I realize I don't like them, I'm going to stop. But for the most part, if I if, if they're all this good, I'll read them all. I love them, you know? Yeah, well, this is like lots of different writers. I assume this two-in-one, right? Yes, like, it like is. We got the two for these yeah. two issues, but I assume even beyond that, there's more. Yeah, I think it's a rotating creative team, definitely. 
And and the idea you said it was it was just two heroes put together. It's always Marvel Two in One is always the thing plus a different. Oh, hero. it's always the thing. Yeah, always. Oh, uh, it'd be more interesting to me at least if it was just different guys that we would uh, expect to see together. Yeah, I think most team ups, just like in DC, they have DC Comics Presents, which was Superman and someone, mm-hmm. and then there was Brave and the Bold, which was Batman and someone, and then once in a while they would experiment and they'd pull out the main character, but it was never as successful, so they would just stick with whoever's popular as the main hero. So they, why did they pick the thing though? Because unbeknownst to most modern people, in the sixties and seventies, the thing was Mar- was one of Marvel's most popular characters. Really? Yeah. The Fantastic Four was the first or second best-selling Marvel comic of the sixties. Well, I knew Fantastic Four was popular yeah. as a whole, but I didn't think the thing in particular. I, I honestly didn't know he had. His, I guess I guess I could have assumed he had his own standalone stories, yeah. but I would never like thought they existed. No, he did. It was actually the Human Torch was the first one to get his own spinoff. He had his own. Uh, solo series and I think it was I think it was Strange Tales mm-hmm. but it, it didn't really last long it lasted maybe a year or two it wasn't that popular then The Thing got his own series in the 70s uh, Marvel 2 and 1 and then when that was cancelled they gave him his own series just called The Thing for like 30 mm-hmm. issues so he was definitely the most popular member of the FF at that time at least I guess he, he leaves a pretty strong impression whether you like it or not right like, right yeah. yeah his speech pattern and he's actually modeled after Jack Kirby so the writer Stan Lee uh, wrote Mr. Fantastic to be more like him, mm-hmm. and he wrote the thing to be more like Jack Kirby. So oh, okay, right, what you know. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so that wraps up this episode of Quasar Quinology. Do you like the title? Oh yeah, for sure. Awesome. Is it so cr- Quinology? Yeah, it's Quasar Quinology, right? So it's, it's a, a Q. It's a play on chronology. Okay. So, I do like it. I said I liked it before I realized what it was. Now awesome. It. Good. <laughs> okay. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for joining us, Kyle. Okay. Bye. <laughs> bye. <laughs>